and welcome to Wonderstruck. I am your host, Elizabeth Rovier. I'm a clinical psychologist, a yoga teacher, and a graduate of Harvard Divinity School. I'm really curious about our experiences of wonder and awe and how they transform us. My guest this time is Mary Riley Nichols. Mary has been teaching yoga for more than 40 years, and she's the director of the Yoga Studies Program at Nalanda Institute for Contemplative Science in New York City. After earning a degree in anthropology at Harvard, Mary completed five years of study in meditation ashrams in both India and the United States under the mentorship of Swami Muktananda. Today, Mary teaches individual and group yoga, advises organizations on mindfulness and embodiment practices, and also teaches stress management in psychiatric settings at Bronxville Psychiatric Wellness Group in Westchester County. Mary's journey into a life of wonder begins with an ecstatic experience that she was hardly prepared for, and one she was at first hesitant to embrace until it happened again and again. What would you do if a white light suddenly told you that you would one day meet a great master? That's what Mary had to confront. Mary's story brings up fascinating questions like, how do we recognize a moment of awakening? Where can we find the courage to accept it? And what can we do with that awakening that will elevate consciousness and change lives? Stay tuned as Mary answers these questions as only she can. In our discussion today with Mary, we have three themes that we're looking at broadly kind of covering. One is her extraordinary experience of greater consciousness, and you know we will see what that's all about. The second is knowledge and knowing. And three is yoga as an embodied meditation. So with that, I would like to start talking with you, Mary, and ask you, what happened to you your freshman year at Harvard? <laughs> Hi, Elizabeth. Well, I'll launch right in then. The first thing that happened was I, I got there. It was freshman year. It's kind of a stressful thing, you know, to adjust and everything. And But I had a friend from uh, New York City who I knew in high school, and he came over and he meditated. So you know, he told me how great it is to meditate. And I thought it was really pretty stupid. <laughs> and I was, you know, I smoked constantly. And I was like, this is pretty dumb. But anyway, he left. But just before he left, he placed his thumb on my third eye, you know, on the space between the eyebrows. And I said, oh, well, whatever. And I was doing laundry, but I was waiting for my laundry to dry. So I decided I'd sit down and try meditating, you know, and I sat in a lotus posture. And about three minutes in, I thought, this is the most boring. I'm never going to do this is stupid. <laughs> so I lay down on my bed at that time. And I, I found myself dozing. And then uh, my body became incredibly stiff and rigid, and I started to fight against it to try to control the body, you know? And then it started to, like, spasm or um, seize, and I could hear the gasping for breath, you know? And um, then I went through a tunnel. Oh, wow. I know. So I'm going through, I went through the tunnel, and I heard these beautiful wind chimes, and I found myself seated in a perfect lotus posture, with the uh, loincloth in a man's body, right, in a hut, in a grass hut. Mm. And I, I remember feeling, just for a moment, I felt like I was God. 
That was the thought, right? <laughs> so into the hut, there was a big storm going on outside, and into the hut came a young woman, and she was crying about the suffering of the world, really like sobbing about it. I it was almost like I was almost annoyed, but I wanted to help her out. So I glanced at her, and out of the corner of my eye came a, a stream of music, mm. and it was um, choral music, and in the song was the whole creation. And I saw all the humanity striving and longing and trying and suffering and hoping and doing things in this music. And it was so beautiful, right? I often would, to describe it, say, if uh, the ode to joy is uh, one degree, this is 365 degrees. It was just overwhelming, you know? Mm. And I'm glancing the creation out of my eye, and I, I started to weep tears from how beautiful it was. And the tears hit the ground explosively. And, and then I found myself on my bed again. Wow. I know. And I, I kind of, you know, did this thing, yeah, which anytime yeah. I would have any kind of traumatic experiences, be like, that didn't happen and walk around, pretend that didn't happen, you know. But anyway, I was there to study uh, ecstatic religion, non-ordinary experience, shamanism. That was I was just passionate about this. So you were interested in that before this actually happened. To yes. You, but you still thought meditation was boring. I did. <laughs> well, I didn't think that was how you got it. You know, I'd, I'd read the um, Carlos Castaneda books mm. religiously, you know, when I was six. 16, they really turned me on. And I thought, well, you get it with drugs or shamanism, or you got to meet some sort of a teacher. Mm -hmm. And but meanwhile, you know, it was a really fascinating uh, study and the department was fantastic. But, and, wait, but you got to <clears> slow down. For okay, a second. so this happens to you just yeah. with some kind of a friend or person you meet in the laundry room that's talking about meditation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you have this very powerful, pretty overwhelming experience. I mean, that would have to be sort of scary. Yeah. What do you? What did you do? I, I basically, you know, I, I sort of tried to deny it and, uh, you know, carry on with my day, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. But more things started to happen then. And by the time junior year came along, it was other stuff like that was happening. So I did think that I might have epilepsy. Mm. And I did go to the health services yeah. three times, you know. And the last time they said they got me an EEG, you mm -hmm. know, and they, when what you do in those days, this is back in the 70s, you had to, you had to lie down and uh, try to go to sleep. Because mm -hmm. um, sometimes these things happen in the period between sleeping and waking, mm -hmm. you know, there's sleep paralysis. And then they would flash lights to see if they could stimulate a, huh. uh, you know, a seizure. And they also had static. And mm. one or two times that I would have these things, it, they'd be static on the radio and it would set it off. Oh, so man. these kinds of things. So there was no definitive answer about whether I might have temporal lobe epilepsy. I just went on with my life. But I was trying to like tamp it down. But I was having many spiritual experiences. Wow. Yeah. It's really fascinating because it's almost like, you know, you were interested in this before and then someone sort of yeah. pushes open the door a little bit and it starts happening. Yeah. It's like you're being called to to do this kind of work or to study these kinds of things. Yeah. Although I did think that maybe I had a, like psychosis going on. Yeah, I understand that. Like I had a wonderful smart roommate and she was a 
the smartest girl in math in the department. She's beautiful, too. But she had a psychotic break, and her psychosis was math-involved, you know? I came home to see that she'd written math equations on the wall with lipstick, you know? Oh, no way. <clears throat> so I thought, oh, I'm going off the rails, you know, oh, according to my, my study. Mm-hmm. But... Luckily, I, I, I've been uh, striving to appear normal ever since, and I'm trying very hard, and I think it's working. Well, I think one of the things that's interesting to me, as well as I think a lot of people, is that you know this is a kind of phenomenon that human beings are capable of having, and you know it is extraordinary, and yet it is in the range of yes. human experience, and. I mean, as a psychologist, right, I'm a big fan of William James, mm -hmm. and he studied these things, the varieties of religious experience back in like the, you know, turn 1903, 1900, yes. and said, you know, why don't we study this? Mm -hmm. This kind of thing happens to people, and it's the cause of great transformation, and yeah. we do ourselves a disservice by not looking at it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, once you realized you weren't having a psychotic break or temporal lobe mm -hmm. epilepsy, but yet it was part of your, almost your studies... I mean, I imagine that it was transformative and life-changing for you. Yes. And so all these sort of like incidents happened. And then the another, the another major one happened when I was I decided to, in junior year, we write a thesis. It's our junior thesis. And I that's where I decided I would do it on ecstatic religious cults. Mm. And what I was seeing was that cult activity, and I, I when I say cult, I kind of think everything's a cult. You know, the, it's all, <laughs> this is all, you know, we're all in cults. But some of them are very adaptive and useful, and a lot of people can thrive through these belief systems. And some of them are, you know, not that adaptive. It, in a way. So when cultures are breaking down, when the basic institutions of a culture start to break down, you see a lot of this activity. Hmm. And what I was doing in this, and I'm writing my paper, and it was so exciting. I mean, I couldn't even wait to get to the desk to start writing, you know. Hmm. I saw that so social breakdown promotes the, it's sort of the, the fertile ground of new cult behavior. Now, why? Well, it's because the old institutions, the old paradigms are not functioning in the new reality. What is the new reality? Well, there could be environmental change. But often what you can study in anthropology is the culture contact between Pacific Islanders and the Japanese Navy, mm. right? So the this contact completely blew apart the culture of the Pacific Islanders. I mean, the, their world... The hierarchy was who has the most pigs and, you know, the, what other sort of attributes of prestige. They would go away. It would now be the, the young boy who or girl who can communicate with these people, right? And um, that would become the new attribute of power. So the attributes of power change when the environment changes, and now you need new adaptive skills to thrive in the environment, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So I'm saying, wow, man, this is so cool. I love it so much, right? And so I'm, I'm writing about it, and then I say, you know, it's one of these, like, you know, Gramps with the light bulb above his head and Betty Boop. So I had the 
the light bulb. It went, my goodness, you know, it's a very simple thought, but modern Western civilization is now breaking down. We must be due for a spiritual transformation. And the minute I, or the moment I had that thought, there was an explosion at the base of the spine. (laughs) And this this ridiculously strong energy wiggled up my spine. Wow. You know, and I thought it felt, I always say like a fire hose, although I've never felt a fire hose, but it's this power and it went into the crown of my head and then the whole world became white light, including myself. And the the white light spoke to me and said I was going to meet a great master and I would recognize him. Mm. And uh, (laughs) that's what happened. And I came down, I came out of that, right? I remember jumping up and like staring at my chair with accusation, like, what did you do to me? And I, you know, as if the chair had started this thing. And then I ran into, told my roommate, you know. The mathematician? Yeah. No, this is a different one. And uh, she, uh, you know, just thought I was smoking too much pot or something. I don't know. (laughs) But uh, so nobody understood. It was the beginning of seeing that I was not going to be... You're not going to be able to communicate this without thinking people thinking you're crazy, exactly, or yeah. lying. Which yes. you know, which one do you yes. prefer? <laughs> I right. don't think I like either of those. So, but it's and so soon that was uh, in the spring of junior year, and in the summer of junior year, I ended up meeting Muktananda, and he was a Shaktipat guru who awakened Kundalini, and mine went. It just went wild when you met him. Yeah, what, like literally right when you met him. Well, I'll tell you that story. Do you want to hear it? <laughs> <laughs> How can we not? How can we not? So I um, had a very mystical uncle. And, you know, we're all... St- wait, wait. You had a mystical uncle? I did. What does that mean? Well, he was an actor um, and he was um, wild and crazy. Uh, the whole family, the entire lineage, both sides, very wild, very crazy, very unconventional, <laughs> a lot of actors, uh, <laughs> tremendous amount of, you know, alcoholics too. And so he was um, highly mystical, but he wouldn't, you know, he didn't, uh, he wasn't uh, holy seeming. No, none of us is holy seeming, but he uh, really was. Anyway, he uh had had his own interaction with Muktananda, but he hadn't told huh. me about it. But he said we were going to go upstate. It was summer of uh, 1976. We're going to go upstate and uh, meet. Uh, he called it a saint. He called okay. it Baba Saint. So I kind of immediately was skeptical because I didn't believe that. I thought you had to like suffer a lot and be a martyr. I didn't mm-hmm. know what that was really. And uh, he. But we did go. I'm glad they didn't say guru because in those days I didn't – guru was associated to me with fake, you know, you're going to sell me something. I don't mm-hmm. know. Anyway, I get there and uh, just prior, a few – a week or so before I met Muktananda, we went upstate, I had had this experience. And it, what it was was I was working in the dorms the Harvard dorms to clean them, which I used to do every, at the end of the year to minimum wage to get some money, you know, before I went home. We'd have a couple of weeks of cleaning them, you know, like with toothbrushes against the drains and everything, just really clean. <laughs> and uh, so I was doing that. And then one day, one morning, I, I woke up to a sound and the sound was so loud and I could say that it was like a trumpet, <laughs> but it was 
it was the loudest sound you've ever heard, and yet it didn't hurt my ears. But as I looked out the window, I heard this sound, and I, I knew that the whole world was hearing, and I decided it must be the end of the world. What's happening, mm -hmm. right? And out of the sky came this swirling, what I thought was a, a flying saucer, wow. something, and it came zooming at me, and it went into my third eye. Oh my and goodness. then I woke up. So this was this thing. And after that, I couldn't get the sound out of my head because when I had heard it, it's I could it didn't it's, this is the weirdest thing, but it didn't have a beginning or an end like most sounds. All right. Hmm. Later on, I would learn that ohm is called the unstruck sound. And this is what I heard, but I didn't know that at all. So anyway, there's it, I couldn't get it out of my head. I just couldn't get it out of my head. And so I, when we went up and met Muktananda, we pranamed because that's what people were doing. They were bowing. He hit me with the peacock feathers. I went and sat down. He was very weird to me. I thought he was totally strange. And, and then he started talking about meditating on Aum. And then he pointed to me in the midst of, you know, you know, several hundred people. And he said, that's what you're doing now. Oh, you know, wow. I know. And I pretended I had no idea what he was talking about. So that was the, the moment. So then I. So I, he could see that was happening. Oh, to you. yeah. It's almost hard to describe the proof of omniscience. Yeah, that you got when you were living near him. It it, it was tr truly. I always say it was scary. I mean, people say, "No, you meant you were in awe. You're wonderstruck." Yeah, I was terrified. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because we had thought of the name also awestruck because uh -huh. awe is like it's awful yes. or it's scary. Yes, because it is scary. Yeah, it absolutely is. There's no is. doubt to yeah. me. Your hair stands on end. Yeah, you know? yeah, and that's the kind of thing you had a lot around, and what it. You know, basically being in the environment, you began to naturally sort of monitor your thoughts. Yeah. Because oh. they would be so, they'd manifest so potently and obviously, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So it was, it, you know, the Shakti, the, the awakened Shakti. Um, Can you just, do, I mean, I feel like people totally. might not know what Shakti or Shaktipat means, like what that is. And, and Muktananda was from the, was he a sh from the Shaivite tradition or Hindu? Yeah, yes, he, he was. Although he knew all of the traditions of, uh, of the, the, all the Indic yogic traditions okay. and mastered them all. But the sort of the creme de la creme of those philosophies it was is Shaivism or Kashmir Shaivism, um, which is tantric. So it's a Hindu tantra? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so Shakti, you know, one way we might think of it is, you know, all Hatha yoga, I'm going to say something that might surprise or make people mad, is Kundalini yoga, all of it is. All of these things people are doing with their body, the equilibration of right and left, forward and back, is to promote the awakening of what we call in that tradition Kundalini Shakti. Mm -hmm. But it is the Holy Spirit. It's mm -hmm. energetic. It, uh, it gives you a carrot and a stick. Okay, the carrot being, uh, people wonder, you know, how can I get my Shakti to awaken? Shall I do this, do that, do this? No. 
love people. It loves love. I can't tell you why, but anything you do that has love in it is is the thing that feeds the Shakti. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be like this incredibly serious yoga person. Um, if you, when you bought your, um, you know, your coffee at Starbucks, if you <laughs> sent love to the people around you, mm-hmm. even the ones that you might normally not love, then the Shakti likes it and it, it leaps. Yeah. And you can feel it, you know? Is there anything that you know in more of a Western framework that we could use to describe what that phenomenon is? I mean, I know you said the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. but even from our, like, scientific Western paradigm, like, is there... Well, I I could say that we don't really understand the human nervous system that well, but it's definitely a nervous system uh, experience, Mm -hmm. which I guess all experiences are, but it is um, promoted by uh, a certain kind of healthy flow of energy in Mm -hmm. the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And it's like I would describe it as you plug something into the wall, there's two prongs, okay? Mm -hmm. And you get a third thing, which is this energy, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, so that those two prongs in the yogic system are considered the ida and the pingala, mm. which are the sun-moon currents in the um, subtle body. We call them uh, nadis. Mm-hmm. There are 72,000 nadis, supposedly, but there's these three important ones. And when the ida and the pingala are equilibrated, the, the central channel awakens. And I I promote the idea of using your Hatha Yoga practices or whatever you do for this equilibration, but you can't forget the love because people try, you know, they say, I'll move my Shakti to this chakra. You're not going to tell the Shakti Shakti what to do, okay? Mm -hmm. It is pure intelligence, and it it is awakened through love, just like the sleeping beauty. The Hmm. sleeping beauty is is like a paradigm. She's awakened by the kiss of love. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's not going to work if you try to, like, it makes me laugh when people, you know, they're going to do this thing, you know. (laughs) It's not going to work because the Shakti thinks that's funny, I think. But, you know, you you have to um, make love with it, Mm -hmm. really. Mm-hmm. And um, why do you, how do you do that? Well, I do, I chant, you know, I, I use my posture. Why? So if I extend the crown of my head and uh, up and the tailbone down, because there's a dynamic of the two polarities, I'm promoting the nice environment for the movement of Shakti. But we might just think that it's nervous system energy, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what is the nervous system? Human nervous system is capable of the experience of God realization or, or samadhi, unitive experience, which everybody's going to tell you that's the shizzle, right? <laughs> and so we are capable of it and mm-hmm. we have ways to enter it. And as I said, just don't forget the love part. Well, I think of it as like if that feeling of something greater and even, you know, make being really sim- simplistic, but like studies on altruism where people actually feel good when they're doing something for yes. someone else, that kind of thing, you actually feel a sense of inspiration. Yes. And so it's, it's the same kind of idea, right? And that those kinds of positive feelings will affect your nervous system in wonderful ways. Exactly. Some of the things that, you know, we're talking about that sound kind of out there or very, you know, esoteric Mm -hmm. are more and more kind of like, hey, yeah, this is going on. This is 
this is part of our human life. Mm -hmm. And there's actually, they're doing studies on ecstatic states yes. and looking at how, you know, science is doing it. So how does it affect the body and the nervous system for, for you know, well-being studies yes. and how, how, how helpful it is. Yeah. You know? That's really true. And I, um, I'm, ecstasy is, um, you know, something that it basically, what does it mean? Ecstasy means out of oneself. So you're out of your ego. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And we sometimes will use substances like alcohol or whatever, but it doesn't work after a while, you know? And, but we all need to get out of the egoic trap because it's terribly scary to be identified only with this body and this story, obviously, because it's not eternal. Right. And that when you have ecstasy, you identify with the eternal mm -hmm. and your, your whole nervous system just gets completely bathed in that the total cessation of, of stress and tension, which the awareness of your eternality brings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's so good. And we have ways to get ecstasy. I mean, there's the dancing, chanting, singing, but, you know, having a dinner party, yeah, is a is a beautiful way to uh, to honor and uh, bring about ecstasy in a way. I think because you're you're communing. I have this idea that you know the Last Supper, where <laughs> Jesus says, "Do this in remembrance of me," and everybody thinks you're supposed to go with your head hung low to get a wafer. And I think he's saying, "Have a dinner party, oh, I love, love each it. other, that's and great. enjoy one another. Have you know wine and bread, and that's how I want to be worshipped." Ah. Uh. That's beautiful. I love that. I do too. <laughs> I mean, that's fantastic. Yes. It's and it makes sense yeah. because that's like, I mean, that's one of the things that's interesting to me too about yoga and tantra, like going back to these, you know, they talk about the proto-religions and these mystery schools yeah. and practices mm -hmm. that, you know, they were kind of dancing around having mm -hmm. bread and wine and yeah. maybe they were in probably perhaps doing the yoga postures. I mean, was yeah. that part of it? Do you think? Well, I think moving the body is part of it. Mm. And, uh, you know, the, the, if you see shamanic practices, a lot of times they'll dance for three days. Okay. Wow. Like the Kung Bushmen, and they talk directly about the energy moving up the spine. They call it num, but they do it with a click, you know, the click sound, num or whatever. And they hmm. da dance for a long time, you know, and then they, they awaken that. So definitely um, people – I think that yoga practices are shamanic uh, and shamanism being a, a universal thing from our own, all our root culture. So a human thing that we are all related to where our – Early ancestors, for one thing, they they um, got a lot of energy and uh, wisdom from animals. So mm -hmm. the animal spirits mm -hmm. um, is something that they people you know obviously the, the bear clan. That's probably a real thing. You know, you're watching bears and you you identify that and you want the strength and the the capability of a bear. You know, right, right. <clears throat> so I think that that when you do yoga postures, you're going to animal shapes and you're remembering your own evolution. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, that's interesting. I think hmm. so. On your website and just having known you and heard you speak a couple of times, there's ways that you do all kinds of these beautiful parallels with images or symbols in Christianity or even the writings in Christianity with Hinduism or I guess Vedanta or Shaivism. And, you know, for example, one is that you've got the Gospel of Thomas mm -hmm. quote with like, when the two become one, then, you know, you enter the kingdom. Yeah. And then there you go with the Hindu Shaivism and the Spanda and the heart, which 
I mean, would you be willing to talk about how those guys are connected and what that actually means? Because something about that aspect also of the heart and that sense of love, mm -hmm. it, it is, I find it very fascinating. I think people would find it really interesting. Yeah, um, that uh, beautiful piece from the Gospel of Thomas, and that has a lot of really interesting things in it, the Gospel of Thomas, and they seem tantric. Mm -hmm. And even the, what I mentioned about like huh. the dinner party idea, that's very tantra. So tantra huh. says, see the wonder and the amazement in, you know, having dinner with your friend, you know? Uh. Um, yeah, it's a... Uh, it's the constant practice of taking delight, Abhinava Gupta says. Uh, okay, it's a practice. What a great idea. Isn't that what a, a good thing. idea? Yeah, taking delight. <laughs> and, Delight's such a great word. Yes, and, and, it's, and make sure you practice it. Mm -hmm. So if I get up and, you know, you can be dull and go get your coffee, you know, same old, same old, or you can be appreciative. And it's not that hard. I know you do it. I can see it in your face that what kind of person you are. I read faces a lot. So the heart is a very important concept, I suppose, in uh, Shaivism, but also obviously Jesus, you know, and the sacred heart and all that. So in Shaivism, the heart has all these layers of meaning. And I would say that it is meaning itself. Okay, mm -hmm. so you could say your if your life doesn't have a heart, you know, heart in it, and as that was a the, one of the Carlos Castaneda quotes, for me there is only the path that has heart, any path that has heart, and there is where I travel breathlessly. Mm. You know, so that, you remember that one? Mm. Uh, it's from Don Juan, the uh, the mm. uh, teachings of Don Juan, and so if if you don't have that, you don't you you see that your life has no meaning. Okay, so meaning is a sort of a mystery in a way. Yes. And it, so the heart is the meaning of things. So you could say love is the meaning. In Kashmir Shaivism, you know, we have the, in the subtle body, you have the heart chakra, which is called the anahata chakra. And that means the unstruck. So it, in the heart chakra is this constant vibration. Okay, and it, and you can tune yourself to listen to it. It's a constant ah, oh. yeah, and it's um, it's the beginning of Om, but it it's just this ah, right? Huh. And it has no in in breath or out breath, so it's this it's a continuous thing. Do you can you hear it? Do you hear it? Yeah, you can you can uh, tune to it anytime you hmm. want. It's there. It's there. All these things are there, like your your perfection, your your purity is there, okay? You're not going to strive to be realized. You are realized. It's all about calming the hell down, you yes, know? Yes. And then just touching it. And then use the guidebook that says, hey, Elizabeth, that experience you're having, that's the absolute. And they go, oh, you know, now I appreciate it. Look, I tell you, I saw the Caravaggio and I didn't think much of it. Yeah. <laughs> then I read about it. I'm like, oh, my God, I got to go get rich. That, that's incredible, you know. <laughs> so it's, a, it's a, the appreciation of what is, right? Mm -hmm. And that is what the uh, end of the day, it's kind of like Dorothy, you know, she was already home. Yes. And uh, she didn't, she had to go through this whole harrowing thing to believe it. But she had to find it for herself. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? It's such a great, that's such a great, uh, you know, scripture is the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. I think. Yes. Yes. That you're always, you're already home. Mm -hmm. You just don't quite know it. 
Yes, and and you know what's cool is she had uh, the the cowardly lion, the uh, the scarecrow, and the Tin Man, and that is you know car- the yoga of action, the yoga of love, and the yoga of knowledge. Oh. They need each other. You can't be without any of them, really. Mm-hmm. And I loved it too because the Wicked Witch of the West is like. Kali, the, the scary time, because she's got that, uh, you know, she turns over the, um, the the hourglass, and you're terrified, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's the scariest thing you ever saw is that hourglass, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's our condition. Yes. Right. Like, yeah. when is yeah. like, our time up, and what does that actually <laughs> yeah, mean? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Flying monkeys. Exactly. How have these kinds of awakening experiences affected how you see yourself, your life, and what this all means, like this reality, so to speak? Well, I I think I see, for one thing, that... Oh, here's the thing. So, you know, I do and have had like a lot of this non-ordinary stuff. And I'm like, why why me? You know, like, Mm -hmm. I can't tell why. I don't understand this. It's kind of crazy. But... When you confer with the angelic beings, they're going, oh, my God, you walked on the earth and you swam in the ocean and you fell in love? What was Mm. that like? Mm. This is the – we've been in our disembodied state forever, and this is the exciting moment here. Mm -hmm. And so know that you – this is the experience. You've been in the heavenly realms many, many times where you can do all kinds of stuff and hear OM. This is the thing that's amazing right here uh, to to assume the limitations of this human life and to get on the battlefield and be, you know, like if you were a, an athlete, you're in the game, man. And that's where all the angels are looking at you and sort of envying that you mm-hmm. get to have this experience. It's kind of scary. Of course, when it's over, it's like, Dorothy, you wake up, oh, my God, that was all a dream. Mm-hmm. But for me, so I think so I had to the, have these experiences so that I can um, teach effectively. And because it's, you know, there's a there's a mission going on, I think, for... Uh, this planet to step in at the at times of crisis and uh, urge on the evolutionary leap um, beyond the dualism that we're in, you know. And so I feel like that's uh, my job is to be able to you know help push along the that uh, uh, process of evolution of consciousness and to the extent that I can. And, uh, mm. uh, you know, and it's funny because it, you can be all those spiritual things, but your life is still going to have suffering and difficulty and, uh, you know, all kinds of conditions. Right. In America, we think if if we suffer that we're failing. It, yeah. It's not true. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but that's what I think, too, is very interesting, like having – an extraordinary experience or spiritual experience. Practicing yoga isn't going to stop the world from mm-hmm. having, you know, you're not going to not have conflict or difficulties at times yeah. here and there. It's not like you've suddenly, it's not an escape. Nope. It's part of human experience. Yes. And it's a certain type of awareness, which I think that you're saying it helps you appreciate yeah. all of these kinds of phenomena as part of your own unique adventure. Yes. And you were saying earlier too, like, having had like that kind of sense of 
greater something greater than ourselves or we're a part of that thing that is greater than ourselves mm-hmm. i guess takes some of the fear or terror yes. out of me and my body of however many years i have yes right? yes it is it's it's a bhaya which means the fearless and so what you do in meditation and that's another thing that i think i'm supposed to do mm. first of all if i feel like uh, you know like it's my the Irish in me. It's like, oh my God, I teach people to breathe and they get paid for it. It's incredible. Mm. You know, it's like what a scam, you know. Mm. But at the end, you can reach the source of all at the end of your breath, at the end of your exhalation, at the end of your inhalation. And you can leap into that the arms of the absolute. Every time you do the, breathe, if you want to, and then you start to get a, it's like you're touching base. You know how a baby needs, well, some babies, my older son didn't, he would just keep running, but some of them, they want to touch base. But mom's still there. Okay, mm-hmm. now I can explore. Mm-hmm. So I do that with the, my breath centered meditation. Uh, I help people be able to access those experiences so they can touch the absolute, the eternal, and um, then explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I know you've also said before, too, that the breath, you've talked about breath as like um, spirit or inspiration, yeah. right? Respiration. Yeah. It's got spirit mm-hmm. in, in it etymologically and like breathing in spirit, breathing out and connecting. And then, you know, of course, when a person passes, they, yeah, that kind of person's last breath. And, you know, I, I, I think of it that way. It's not that I I still find myself kind of, well, I mean, admittedly nervous about it. Mm -hmm. But when I think about it from a greater perspective in that way, I feel a little, I feel a little bit less afraid. Yeah. Yeah. Of it, of dying. You, you, I I have this knowledge that we've all died many, many, many times. Mm -hmm. It's, the, the body has died many, many times. So, you don't have to be that scared, but it, it, you do want to like, you could also think like, having a a figurehead of God that you cozy up to, which I do. <laughs> and it's like, hey, buddy, <laughs> you and me, right? <laughs> That's what I do. Because it's that also reduces fear. Mm-hmm. And um, that I, you know, I feel that that's another thing to, to uh, if, since my fear is reduced, I can help mm-hmm. other people. Fear is not a you know, it, it has a lot of negative outcome. Uh, in, if you do fear-based behavior, yeah, and it, you can see that it's it's not our. We have to overcome it. Yeah, yeah, we have to overcome it if it's certainly being a, acting in a way that's overtaking us. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's like this going back, like connecting that to the breath. Uh, Mary Oliver, the poet, has some kind of a phrase where it's like. She says it much more eloquently and poetic than I'm going to say, but it's something like that little breath, like that little little breath you're taking and you're calling it a life, you yeah. know, like, come on, you know, uh-huh. deep breathe, get out there, live your life. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, yeah. A good, it's, a, it's actually a very good line. I'll- <laughs> I like that. I'm going to use that, Elizabeth. I've got Go to teach it. a breath-centered thing next Monday and I, I'm going to look for that. Yes. I love to bring poetry in. Oh, well, yeah. The, it was uh, Niles Bohr said something like, the more we go further with what we're doing with physics, we're not going to be able to use regular language. We're going to have to talk about it in poetry because there's no other way to explain this. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. So I am curious. So it's like it's it's wonderful to talk to you because it's like you're so much at ease with talking about the, these kinds of things. And obviously, because it's been going on your whole life, I mean, it still happens. 
Yeah. And there's situations where people will have these kinds of experiences and still feel like I have to pretend that I didn't or it's not going to fit in my world because I am a medical doctor yeah. or I'm a biologist or yeah. you know I'm a school teacher. I can't talk about this. And have you had interactions or like, you know, you're you're married, you have kids. <laughs> what do they do they think? What do they think about all of this? <laughs> it's really funny because I never talked to my husband about this at all. <laughs> I, I hope he doesn't listen to he might, <laughs> but I don't think he'll pay much attention. So he know he has it's funny too, Elizabeth, not just that he isn't interested, it's like he doesn't really like I mean it's not his favorite thing. Hmm. So some people don't like mysticism. That's okay because it certainly you know, if uh, help to reduce uh, taking pride, because mm, there are a lot of yes, people that yes. just don't find this, they don't dig it, you know? And um, right. so that's okay, because they don't need to, and I don't talk about it. And the only thing is that if I have friendships where I don't talk about this stuff, it feels that I'm harboring an awful lot of myself that mm. they don't know about. But because what uh, there's not all that much that is interesting about me. I have to tell you the truth. I'm not very skilled at anything, really. Uh, it's true. I, you know, I tell you the truth. So, in a way, you just find eventually, you know, you figure out who you can talk to or want to talk about it, which is so why I'm so happy to be here because you want to talk about it, and mm -hmm. you know, generally, I won't talk about it when. People aren't interested at all. Yeah. You mm -hmm. don't want to force no. it on somebody that's like, yeah. what? Did you hear what she said? No. Mm -mm. <laughs> yeah. I, I can understand that. I mean, it's 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 really it's it's really interesting. It's um <laughs> yeah. I, when um oh, I, I meditate and uh I do actually one of my favorite types of meditation I can, is transcendental meditation. And I had there was a period of time where, you know, just doing my regular meditation and then I saw this like I had like this vision of something and the same kind of experience. I was scared. Well, not, no, not exactly. I didn't have the universe coming out of my eye, but I had, I saw like this kind of mythical creature, like rising out of an ocean. And it's like, wow. oh my God. Like, and then I was like, uh, am I okay? Yeah. <laughs> am I okay? Yeah. And I, um, went to, at that time, talk to my therapist who was also a, a meditation person. And he was like, yeah, that's okay. It sounds like that was a naga or something that you oh, saw coming yeah. out of the ocean. Oh, cool. And I was like, oh. I was like, and so that's cool. That's okay. And he's like, yeah. You know, like kind of, yeah, people have stuff like that when they meditate. Like, yeah. you know, like not a big deal. Like I'm not going to go send you to the psych ER. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. The, you know, that's – the nagas, they're um, snake – yeah, uh, deities, and you're wearing oh, well, a snake. Yeah, what is that I, snake that you're wearing? Well, I'm just—it's kind of my good luck term. It says it, you're gonna laugh. It says, uh, "It says fear eats the soul." <laughs> so okay. it's like because I was nervous about it today. I was like, wow. okay, I don't want to be afraid. And then I have my okay. My so you've got ring. a snake ring. So I'm gonna say that you have a a, a spiritual um, heritage in that tradition, mm. which is a very very powerful. Shakti tradition in India. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Cool. Past lives is a thing that I 
I experienced. That's why I'm so relaxed about dying because I saw so many of them and I, <laughs> and I see them in other people. So Thank Naga, God you don't see mine, do you? Well, the Naga thing. No, I knew no, the past lives are good. Not yeah. my, not oh, my future. Current, oh, no, no, God <laughs> forbid. I just I, could we stop now? I'm <laughs> yeah, done over yeah, here. Yeah. Oh God! But you know that thing about the the universe coming out of my eye. So. Years later, <laughs> twenty years later, I learned that the in Shaivism, the glance of Shiva creates the universe through his glance, and he weeps because it's so beautiful. And uh, those tears are called the tears of Rudra, the Rudraksha. You know, mm. so I mean, I had this classic mm-hmm, thing, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. that Naga thing, I I swear to God, Elizabeth, that's you, yeah, it was cool. It was like yeah. this kind of like snake-like thing with wings just like <gasps> rising up out of the ocean. Oh, my God. So that's the, you know, Quetzalcoatl is the winged serpent. Mm. And if you look at the Caduceus, mm. it's the two snakes and there's wings on top. Mm. So that that winged serpent mm. is a, is a you're going to see it all throughout the world as a symbol of the awakened Kundalini. Oh, cool. Yeah. I love what you said because you connected this, um, the Naga awakening. I want you to start looking into the Naga tradition. It's very yeah, it's interesting. Curious. I will. Yeah. They're real beings and they're, it's their serpent beings. There was, you know, there was like one thing that I just, I have to just say this because I thought it was so cool that you had you had said this. Can I repeat sure. something that you said? Um, which I just think is awesome. It's about yoga. And given that you've spent 40 years doing yoga. Um, also, you know, we were talking about this with yoga and yoga as like ground, or I guess grounding the spirit in the body, awakening the spirit in the body, uh, or awakening like neurophysiologically. And you said that yoga prepares the body for a deep somatic cognition of our infinitude. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a great thing to say. <laughs> I mean, that is amazing. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe if you have like two words on that, and then I, I can just wrap this up. Well, I and, and so not to make it seem like a, a faraway thing, but anyone who's done shavasana at the end of a, oh. you know, the end of a class, you're... Uh, you, what I think you're doing when you do the yoga class, you're taking the dog out for a walk. Otherwise, it's going to be like wanting to bring in the leash over. So you you took the dog for a walk. Now it's ready to settle down, you know. Mm. And so in the deep relaxation, you can perceive these subtle the subtle vibration. And back to the idea of spanda, which is in Kashmir Shaivism, there's um, an understanding that the you know that the 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 substrate of reality is vibratory. Mm-hmm. And the string theory thing is also says that too. And um, mm-hmm. so what you're doing, so you've now made your body a tuning fork and you now can um, you're start resonating with the infinite. Mm. And mm. and you you let it just sort of bathe you, and the infinite is experienced in the heart. It's as if the heart is the sensory organ for the for the infinite, mm. because that's why we like we call it love. But the but love is the experience of infinitude, and mm. and we love that because it's you know it takes us away from the fear of death. And so, uh, the, the when you do things with your hatha yoga bodies, you're removing deep tension, hopefully. You're giving your body full expression. 
You know, I don't advocate you're trying to do things that look like yoga journal, you know, I think that what you're doing is exploring your own system, which has roots back to 3.5 billion years of evolution, that's chanting in your DNA, mm. and that you're, you're, you're connecting <laughs> with it. Um, and that's the that's what you're doing. And so you, it should be a very deep, sensuous experience, um, yoga, and you should you should love it. You know, you should just dig into your practice with uh, gusto. That was Mary Riley Nichols. Thank you so much, Mary. To learn more about Mary's work, check out www.meditationmary.com. Please come back next time on Wonderstruck when I'll be talking with Father Francis Tiso, a Catholic priest and a Tibetan Buddhist scholar, about a concept called the rainbow body, the phenomenon that when a person dies, they manifest as a radiant, colorful light. Father Tiso's extraordinary scholarship on the rainbow body and its relationship to the resurrection of Jesus Christ has broadened interfaith dialogues and the nature of reality. He'll be joining me for a part one of a two-part conversation. For more information about Wonderstruck, our guests, and some really exciting upcoming events, check out wonderstruck.org. And please follow the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and subscribe on YouTube. We truly want to hear from you with your feedback, reviews, and ratings. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook at WonderstruckPod. Wonderstruck is produced by Wonderstruck Productions, along with the teams at Bailey Newman and Freetime Media. Special thanks to Brian O'Kelly, Ileana Elefthru, and Travis Reese. Thank you for listening. And remember, be open to the wonder in your own life. Thank you.